Welcome to Reading in the Attic, a podcast featuring old and new fiction with a retro feel. My name is Camille LeGuire, and I'm literally reading these stories to you from my attic. So pull up a dusty chair and settle in. When we left our intrepid teen heroes, Denver was setting fires throughout the woods, hoping to attract the police while avoiding the murderous CJ. And Vicky had just been captured by the boss and Sly, after having hidden Kevin in a trunk with instructions to make no noise no matter what. And that's where we'll take up this episode. Harsh Climate, Episode 6 Vicky backpedaled away from the boss, but Sly jumped down from the window behind her. Good job, Sly, said the boss. I should have listened to you sooner. Aw, shit, boss, said Sly. I thought they were in the basement. I was going to make a lot of noise searching the bedroom so they'd run out the back door to you. The boss just grinned like a shark. This was the first time she'd had a good look at him, and she realized he really did look like a shark. Even with the snow and mud spattered on his shoes, she could see they were normally well-shined. His suit was good and his hair was stylish. He held the gun in a hand with a very nice leather glove. Don't worry, Sly. We got her. Where's the kid? asked Sly. Vicky looked toward the woods and then quickly down, as if Kevin had gone that way. Sly looked at the woods, too, but the boss kept looking at Vicky. Wait, said the boss. You see how she looked that way? That was a very nice take. She's trying to tell us that the kid is out there. Sly paused and looked at Vicky, too. Vicky kept her eyes on the ground. The boss backed off a step, gesturing with a finger for Vicky to come. Sly pushed her, and they all moved closer to the corner of the house. You said it yourself, Sly, said the boss. Why would he run? We'll just catch him, and it's warmer inside. He stopped when he was standing where he could see the back door. Vicky tried madly to think of how she could change his mind. How would she act if he were wrong? She'd look relieved. She let out her breath and stood up a little straighter, now looking him in the eye. She pretended to avoid looking at the shed. The boss just grinned at her and held out a hand to Sly. Tape, said the boss. Sly pulled a roll of duct tape from the pocket of his parka and peeled off a length. It wouldn't tear, so he bit it and spit on the ground. I hate the taste of that stuff. So carry a knife, said the boss. Sly taped Vicky's hands behind her while the boss continued to give orders. You stand here where you can watch the window and the door until we get inside. We don't want the kids slipping out on us. It's cold out, said Sly. The boss ignored him and shoved Vicky toward the back door. Well, she'd seen their faces, so they would kill her eventually. If she could stall them finding Kevin, though, that might give Denver a chance to lure in the police. So Vicky put on her teen queen I don't care girl face and wheeled around to face the boss. The cops are already coming, she sneered with all the adolescent sass she could muster. Oh, you think they saw your little fire? We put that out. They aren't coming for that. You think so, she said and she danced a little, moving away from the door. 
She was waiting for him to hit her or shoot her, but he just kept grinning. Oh, I know so, girly. Hey, if you got lucky and you did get some attention, you know what'll happen? You'll just get some volunteer fireman shot. The image of an innocent fireman sprang up in her mind, rushing to check out a fire and meeting with a bullet. And this jerk would do it, too. He'd shoot him. Suddenly furious, Vicky lowered her head and ran at him. He didn't shoot her. He just stepped back and shoved her aside and she went tumbling. He bent over her. I hate heroes, he said quietly. I'll enjoy killing them when they come. Understand? Vicky hauled up and launched herself at him. He went down on one knee this time. But this time he grabbed her by the neck and put the gun to her face. Stop this shit now. That's all he said. He pressed the gun right to her eye. Vicky held still. Now that the rush of anger was gone, she was very much afraid. Maybe it was his voice. He was screwing around before, but now he wasn't. I don't need you, he said, gripping her neck and jaw tighter, tight enough to leave bruises. I got a plan to use you, but I can change my mind. With that, he pulled her up and shoved her toward the door. Vicky thought about what a first responder might do at the report of smoke. She wasn't sure, but she thought volunteer firemen go first to the firehouse, and then they all come together with the truck. The boss couldn't shoot them all, and they'd have a radio, so he wouldn't dare shoot any of them, right? But a lone fireman checking out some smoke, or a lone cop, he wouldn't expect a gang of armed kidnappers, would he? She sure hoped Denver would get through before someone came across this by accident. Ever since that kiss, Denver had decided that he definitely liked being Denver. It was ridiculous. Here he was hauling a can of gas through the woods, setting fire to things while being stalked by a psychopath. They were all probably going to die a horrible death, and soon. But it was definitely not boring. And besides... Since he found some socks in that basement, his feet were nice and toasty. He glanced over his shoulder and saw no sign of the brute. While he was looking, the ground seemed to give way for a second, and he teetered and scrambled back. He managed to set down the gas can without dumping it over, as he fell back on his ass. The tall grass and brush had concealed the edge of that same culvert that had nearly killed him before. He crept up to the edge more carefully this time and looked down. If anything, it was deeper here. More water at the bottom, brown but flowing, with a crust of ice along each edge. The culvert ran close to the house up ahead, where there was a large stand of brush and a shed. He needed the fuel for a real conflagration, something big enough to draw the attention of the fire department and police. And he wanted it as close to the house as possible to be sure to catch the bad guys, or at least to make the bad guys run. He picked up the gas can and crept along closer to the house. The shed might be the best thing to set fire to. It was pretty big, and the wood had looked pretty dry. But it might burn too fast. Plus, if any of the bad guys came back to the house, they'd see him dousing the place with gas. Still, it seemed the best option so far. But then Denver stopped. The wood pile stood before him, a wall of flammable wood, four feet high and two feet thick, and probably twenty feet long. There was a row of shrubs between it and the house to give him cover until the fire was lit, too. Perfect. 
He started at a low section of the pile, dousing it with gas. Then he moved some logs to pile on top of the ones he doused so he could get some extra action out of the gas. He went back for the gas can to douse a little more. And there, suddenly, was CJ. Before Denver could react or run, the big man walloped him, just knocked him straight off his feet. CJ had a gun, but he didn't fire it. He slowly walked over to where Denver fell, right next to the gas can. The smell of gas was everywhere. If you shoot, you'll set off the gas, said Denver. CJ paused to glance at the gas and at the woodpile and down at Denver. Then a big grin broke out over his face. Yeah, said CJ, nodding as Denver pulled in his feet defensively. Yeah. You'll burn, too. I can jump in the water, said CJ, gesturing toward the culvert. If I break your knees, you'll just have to lie there and burn. Or I could tie you up, too. C.J. looked around and pointed to a large log that hadn't yet been cut up. Denver pulled his legs up closer and rolled a little bit sideways, as if going into the fetal position. C.J. grinned and pulled the belt off his coat. I'll tie you to this log, he said, and shoot your knees. He seemed really happy with that idea. Denver, though, had managed to get his feet under him, and he launched himself at C.J., grabbing the gas can as he went. C.J. turned and Denver hurled the gas can at him. C.J. fell backwards over the log. The gun flew out of his hand, unfortunately away from Denver. C.J. started to roll toward it. Denver did the only thing he could think to do. He dumped the gas on C.J.'s head and in his eyes over his face and coat. C.J. sputtered in horror and fury. He let out a roar and started lashing at Denver. He was blinded for the moment, but he did manage to knock the can out of Denver's hand. I'll kill you, he roared. Denver ran for it, but something snagged the cuff of his pants and he went down. CJ had his ankle. Denver pulled and scrambled while CJ pulled him toward him. The brute could see better now, it was clear. He held on to Denver's ankle and got up, yanking Denver's foot in the air so he couldn't get his feet under him again. Then he reached for the gas can. He tried to pour gas on Denver, but none came out. I'll burn you, he said again, and let go of Denver's leg so he could shake the can with both hands, but the can was empty. Denver took advantage of the moment to dive over the woodpile. The can went bouncing past him as C.J. hurled it after him. The gas can was clearly empty. If he ran now, he'd just have to sneak back and try to set fire to the woodpile again. And besides, C.J. wasn't going to let him run. The big man placed his hands on the woodpile as if he were about to climb. Denver reached into his pocket and pulled out his matches. C.J. paused. Denver opened the matchbook, and it was empty. It was too late to change plans. Denver tore off a corner of the matchbook and held it against the strike area as if it were a match. I got a match, he said. You want to be a human torch? C.J. backed off from the wood pile a step. He was squinting and probably couldn't see very well. You'll burn too, he said. Not that bad, and I can run away. You can't. C.J. stared hard at that matchbook and licked his lip. He must have got a taste of gas, because he spit and backed off convulsively. 
That's our gas, he said. You stole it. He was infuriated, but clearly helpless. Denver held the matchbook more out toward him. C.J. backed away a little. The gun was just behind him. He kept sidling closer, but could he see it? The smell of gas was overpowering, and C.J. was half-crouched. Denver could tell he was scared. Well, you could always jump in the water, said Denver, and he lowered his hands. Duck and roll. Out of sight of C.J., Denver scraped a corner of the matchbook against the rough end of a log. The rasping sound was just like the striking of a match. Then he let out a scream. Oh, shit, he screamed. The fire, the fire! C.J. bolted for the culvert. Denver kept screaming as he felt in his pocket for another book of matches. He knew he had one. He ran to the end of the woodpile, where he had most thoroughly doused it with gas. This was closer to the culvert, and he could see C.J. run and nearly jump in. But then C.J. caught himself at the edge. He teetered and looked back and saw no fire. He didn't see where Denver had gone, though. So Denver picked up a log and took a couple of steps closer. Hey, he called. And as C.J. turned, he heaved the log at him. C.J. naturally stepped back, and he toppled into the culvert. Finally. Denver found the other book of matches. There was only one match left in that one, too. He wanted to make sure that the fire caught, but he didn't want to get too close to where the gas was strongest. So he lit the match and then set fire to the whole matchbook. He edged closer to the woodpile and tossed it, and it fluttered a little short of where he wanted it to land. He edged closer, but then some dry grass caught. And then, thump! The gas caught with a huge flare, sending hot wind back at Denver. He turned away and saw C.J. had made it to the top of the ditch, but now the fire caused the man to duck back down into the water. Denver even heard a splash. The fire quickly blew down the length of the woodpile, making a roaring wall of flame. That would draw the attention of the fire department. All Denver had to do was go back to the road so he could watch and flag them down. At the last minute, he noticed the gun there in the grass. A bit of snow had kept the flames from getting to it, but that was melting fast. Denver hopped aside and grabbed the gun and then took off for the brush again. The boss dragged Vicky into the living room, and once in there, he taped her feet together, too. Once they were inside, the boss called Sly in to watch the window and door from the hall. Vicky could see him lounging in the background, looking uncomfortable. "'Where's the kid?' said the boss, and he gave Vicky a hard slap across the face. "'He's outside,' said Vicky. The boss stuck his face close to hers. He smelled of cologne." probably expensive, but it smelled gaggy to her. I don't mind beating the crap out of you, little girl, so you tell me where he is now. He's going to freeze to death out there by himself. You should be looking for him out there. The boss slapped her again, hard enough that she tasted blood from her lip. This is going to take all day, said Sly. He reached into his pocket and pulled out a handful of electronics. Put that crap down and start looking for him. But I'm watching the window. Search in there first, then I'll watch the window. Sly turned reluctantly, but he paused to untangle the earbuds from the mess of electronics in his hand. 
I said put that crap down, said the boss. All of it. Over there. Sly made a face and slapped the various goods down on a nearby side table. Vicky could see a cell phone among the items. If she could get loose, maybe she could grab it. Not that she was anywhere near getting loose. The boss hauled Vicky up and dragged her along after Sly. Sly was giving the room a cursory glance. The boss hauled her over and dropped her by the window. He picked up a shard of broken glass and then crouched over her. He showed her the glass and brushed her hair back from her face. Vicky ignored him. It was all over if Sly looked in the chest. He snooped around under the bed, in the closet. Was he going to even look in the chest? If he did, would he dig under the blankets? Would Kevin keep still? She couldn't help but tense up when Sly touched the lid of the chest. But he didn't open it. He was just resting his hand on it while he looked under the other side of the bed. The boss must have seen her reaction, because he dropped the piece of glass and stood up. Open that, he said, pointing to the chest. Sly opened the chest. Vicky scooted back toward the window, feeling around for the shard of glass, anything she could use as a weapon or as a blade to cut herself free. There wasn't anything. She'd kicked most of the glass outward. Just the one piece had stayed on the sill for the boss to find. Nothing in here, said Sly. Dig, said the boss. Sly dug through the sheets, but apparently didn't find anything. He kept digging long after he should have found him. Kevin wasn't there. Vicky let out a surprised breath, almost a laugh. Kevin wasn't there. The boss wheeled around and kicked her. You think you're so smart with these games, he said. She scooted back, now suddenly more scared for herself. Where had Kevin gone? He must have gone during the minutes they were all outside, because the boss and Sly had kept a close eye on that room since then. Had he got outside? There hadn't been time. He must be in the house. The boss grabbed Vicky by the hair and hauled her up off the floor, just as her fingers touched something metal. The nail, the one she'd been thinking of using to nail the kitchen door shut. She managed to get a hold of it just as he pulled her away. Kevin had been in the living room all that time, hiding in the small space behind a chair in the corner. He'd barely made it there when the boss had brought Vicky in and began slapping her and shouting for her to tell him where Kevin was. It scared Kevin to death, but he held still and stayed quiet like she told him. She never told the boss anything, so he wasn't going to be chicken and tell anybody either. He peeked out from behind the chair, wondering if he could escape while they were in the bedroom but he could tell they were coming back out. And that's when he saw his phone, right there on the table next to the chair. He reached carefully and untangled it from the earbuds and music player. When the boss screamed at Vicky to quit the games, Kevin nearly dropped the phone, but he caught it and turned it on. He hit the nine, and the phone beeped. Kevin froze, and then pulled back further behind the chair. Sly came back into the room and looked around. Kevin thought he'd hit the mute button, but in his hurry, he'd put it into the movie-playing mode instead. Now, as he clutched the phone, he accidentally set it to play. His stepmother's voice came out of the phone. It's very simple, her voice said calmly. My stepson has to die before my husband, and I have to be able to prove it. 
Kevin jerked away from the sudden sound, and the phone fell on the floor, under the side table. Sly pulled the chair aside. Found him, he sang. He reached in and grabbed Kevin's arm and yanked him out. Then he noticed the sounds coming from the phone. What have you got here? He pulled the phone out, too, just as the boss joined them, dragging Vicky along behind him. From the phone came the sound of the boss's voice, assuring Judy that he could kill Kevin and provide the proof. What the hell is that? said the boss in real life. Sly looked scared and let go of Kevin. I'm sorry, boss. I must have hit the record when you were talking. I'll erase it. Don't you dare, said the boss. Stop. Sly stopped, his finger hovering over the button. The boss dragged Vicky around and dumped her on the floor next to Kevin. That's our ticket to everything, he said. I didn't mess up, said Sly. You messed up good, said the boss. Real good. Grab the kid. Sly grabbed Kevin and set him on the chair between the two of them. This changes everything, said the boss. No ransom, fake or real. No drops, no getaway. This is gold. We'll blackmail her said Sly, getting the point. Yeah. I like that, boss. We don't even have to kill the kid. No, we gotta kill the kid. She's gotta inherit the money or she won't have any money to blackmail her for. The boss smirked at Kevin. Sorry, kid. You're toast. CJ can do that, though, right? said Sly uncomfortably. The boss wasn't listening. He was looking at the phone and thinking. Here's what we do. We'll put him in the trunk of this girl's car. Then we make it look like she and the other guy kidnapped him and then got into a fight and killed each other. CSI will know if you mess with the bodies, said Sly. So we take them to the scene and set it up before we kill them, said the boss. He got up. Go see if CJ's caught the guy yet. What if CJ's killed him already? We take the girl out to the body and set the scene there. And what if he's like beat him to death? We couldn't make it look like she did that. Then we shoot CJ and make it look like a three-way fight. Use your head. But first we have CJ take care of the kid, right? Because I'm not doing that. Sure, go find him. I'm on Straight Line Road, said Trooper Andy Blur to dispatch. If there was smoke, it's gone now. I'm heading back to the highway. He drove along the back road, scanning the woods, but there was nothing but some mist. Might be the remains of a small fire, but nothing to pinpoint. Then he saw the marks on the road. He pulled over and got out to look closer. Not the signs of an accident. The black scorch marks looped along the road in a way that no car could have moved. It almost looked like writing. Yeah, that was an H. It spelled help, and there was an arrow pointing to the ditch where there was a pile of brush. And there, beyond the ditch, in the distance, a column of smoke rose. It wasn't there a moment ago, but it was now rising fast and growing thick. He keyed the radio and identified himself, as he moved closer to see what the arrow was pointing at. There were tire tracks going into the ditch. A car was covered by brush. We've got a big fire to the west. Looks like the next section over. And I've got a car in the ditch and scorch marks on the road. As he got closer to the ditch, he saw a suitcase on the ground nearby, clothes strewn about. It's my kid's stuff. It's her boyfriend's car, 
he shouted into the radio and jumped down to look closer. Denver pushed his way through the brush and considered whether he should cross the field to get away faster. He now had a gun and was less nervous of being noticed. Although, now that he thought about it, the other guys probably had guns too and would shoot him from a distance. He moved along close to the brush. Across the field, he could see a cop car on the road. And a cop moving around to check out the message Denver had burned into the road. Denver decided to forget being careful. He burst out of the bushes and ran pell-mell across the field, waving and shouting. The cop didn't see him. He finished checking out the ditch and scrambled back toward his own car. He might leave before Denver got there. Denver pulled out the gun and shot it in the air. Bam! And then again. Bam! Bam! Sly had been pushing through the brush himself at that moment, calling for CJ and wondering if it was a waste of time. When he heard the gunshots, he pushed closer to the clearing and saw the police car. Oh shit, no, he said, and he decided to forget CJ. He scrambled back toward the house. Vicky lay as still as she could manage on the living room floor. She wanted to look defeated and spent, and now that the boss had Kevin, he left her alone. She still had the nail, and it was just sharp enough to work on the tape around her hands. She had been stabbing away from the moment she had got her fingers on it. But then, with the sound of gunshots, the boss leapt to his feet and ran to the kitchen. Vicky had one hand mostly free. The tape still stuck to her skin, but she twisted her wrist and tried to get it loose. She could hear Sly come running into the kitchen. It's the cops, said Sly. They're checking out the fire on the back road. We gotta go. Grab the phone, said the boss. I'll shoot the kid. Vicky is still tied up. The police are still a country block away. And the boss knows they're there. Who's going to stop him from shooting Kevin? To find out, stay tuned for next week's exciting conclusion of Harsh Climate. So that's it for this week. The story is Harsh Climate by Camille LaGuire. It's available in ebook form at Amazon, Apple's iBookstore, and other online booksellers. Theme and story music by the Royalty Free Music Company. Until next time, see you in the funny papers.